you're listening to highlights from the Creative Processes interview with Brock Bastian, author of The Other Side of Happiness, Embracing a More Fearless Approach to Living. This podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. Positivity has become the new crack of the upwardly mobile and the new pill for the downtrodden and depressed. Coaches, consultants and psychologists have been pushing the message that to live well, we need to seek out the positive and reframe the negative. In today's world, feeling happy is no longer simply a state of mind. It has become a marker of mental health and success. On the flip side, pain and sadness are viewed as signals of failure and of sickness. If we're not happy, then there is something wrong with us and we need to fix it. It is no wonder that the pain-killing and antidepressant markets, already worth billions of dollars, continue their rapid expansion. We've come to treat even commonplace experiences of pain and sadness as pathological, as things that need to be medicated and eradicated. I think probably... There, there has been a shift in some of our values, in, in particularly in Western context. I think in societies which have been a little defined, overdefined by probably market capitalism and therefore consumerism. I don't think these things have been particularly good for our well-being or our happiness. I think it's led to focus on success and standing out. And I do think that the more that young people can walk away with an understanding that perhaps the best thing they can do in life is actually contribute to the lives of others. And that's probably where they're going to get most of their happiness from and most of their fulfillment from. And the rest is probably a little bit hollow. You know, money doesn't really buy happiness. I mean, it certainly buys comfort and we do know some money is very important for that, but you do need to feel connected to other people and you can't, whilst consuming and, and even promoting ourselves on social media or playing the popularity game or aiming to be famous, that seems to be a value that a lot of young people have these days, which again is only just a, I think, a, a kind of outcome of being exposed to a lot of media, which would suggest that that seems to be something that's very important. But I don't think that... You it's going to breed happiness. And so being able to really identify what the values are that are going to make us happy, that are going to connect us to meaning and purpose in other people, and that will actually contribute to a better world for all of us, I think would be great. And I, I think there's a little bit of that. There's a bit of competition in that space for young people's minds at the moment. So if we can if we can get them on board with some of those sorts of values and approaches to life, I think, well, the future generations would be better off. Many of the things that make us interesting are often the foibles or the other sorts of non-positive elements. And yeah, I mean, a life worth retelling. I think one of the things that we find in our research is even when people recall their own lifetimes, what are memorable moments for them. They don't recall just the pleasant ones. They also recall the painful ones because both of those have contributed to the narrative of making them who they are. I guess it's only by overcoming those or facing into them or even having any problems or challenges in life. I mean, if you had a life that had no problems or challenges, you wouldn't know what you'd be capable of or you wouldn't know many of your own personal qualities. I guess the, the bigger argument I suppose I make in my book is that in fact you might not even know what happiness is because it would all be you know a single signal of just constant pleasure which would become nothing at all eventually. So we do need this disruption sometimes, this variation, something to push against or to bounce off in order to experience I think meaning, happiness, fulfillment in life. Well, then there are different ways to define happiness in terms of the way we might think about it in terms of philosophically or the literature. There's what we call sort of hedonic ways of thinking about happiness, which is really just how much positive affect you're experiencing, how much pleasure or satisfaction are you experiencing in your life at any given point in time. And then there's a broader approach to thinking about it, which is that it includes things like meaning and social connection with other people. And so that broader sense of happiness isn't just all about assessing 
how much positive feelings I have or positivity of my thinking at any particular point in time. I might be establishing social connection, but also in, in contexts where I'm not feeling happy or I might be achieving or purposeful and meaningful outcomes, but not necessarily through ways that are making me immediately feel good or positive. Maybe they are hard, difficult. I suppose that eudaimonic approach, which is probably the one I would um, tend to focus on because it does avoid that tendency to constantly assess our own emotional states. And I think that itself become a bit of a trap. In fact, you know, the more we focus on our own happiness, sometimes the less happy we become when we're talking about that kind of hedonic level or type of happiness. It's important to identify if you're talking as an insider or an outsider. And, and, you know, I think psychology definitely provides an outsider perspective on religion. And I think it's that's not the same as an insider perspective. But from an outsider perspective, it has a function in terms of helping people perhaps to deal with some of those existential threats, just our own fear of our own mortality, for example. Religion has helped us to sort of feel that there's something beyond us and beyond our own life, which I think has been important. It's probably, again, it plays a, a range of roles in social coordination, the ideas of God, genders, cooperation and pro-social behaviour. The idea that eternal punishment does that too. So there's a range of, I think, functions in terms of what religion, from a psychological perspective, what religion does. And I think psychology has, in a sense, it does compete a little bit in that space. And I guess psychology does kind of have that sort of outsider perspective on religion a bit. I think certainly use of pain in rituals and in the sort of ritual practices, I think that has a range of functions that are attached. We certainly know that sometimes going through a painful ritual increases the connection or function where you need to go through a particular ritual in order to become a member of that group and that pain signifies the importance or the meaning and, and actually creates connection for you. Again, in, in some indirect way, that might be related to happiness. I suppose on that side of things, it's perhaps more just using those examples to understand that often we do we do seek out in a number of different ways unpleasant and painful experiences because there are benefits to them. You know, if you look at our everyday choices, often we are making choices to face into difficult, challenging, even painful experiences. And that suggests there is some benefit in those experiences. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing it. Those rituals wouldn't have persisted over time if they didn't have have some sort of functional value to add or they weren't effective in achieving what, what they're supposed to be achieving. So I, I guess what that does tell us is that there is some value to our pain and sometimes there's a lot of value in our negative experiences as well, our unpleasant experiences. My father grew up in Western Australia and uh, he would talk about being barefooted a lot and, uh, and back in those times you, you would have some freedoms but also you take some risks. And I think in terms of my growing up, I certainly had substantial freedom to take risks as well myself. I think that's probably part of what the parenting component is about, is letting our kids take some risks. Of course, you don't want them to take silly risks, but you do want them to know that they are able to take some risks and also to manage the fallout if it doesn't go so well. I think that's really critical. I mean, one of the things we know about depression is people stop taking risks when they become depressed. And so to, part of the treatment for depression is actually get people to start taking some risks in life again. So we do need to take risks in life to be happy and healthy. So I think that's certainly in my upbringing in particular, I would say my father was not risk averse, was happy to take on a few challenges. Sometimes, you know, that didn't always work out, but that was part and parcel. And again, supporting your kids to, to take those calculated risks in life and to feel they've got the resources to do so, I think is really important.
And I guess that's the difference between a broader approach to defining happiness. Sometimes the things that can make us very happy in the short term are not the things that bring us happiness in the long term. Sometimes going through short-term pain in order to have long-term gain is recognising that that's that ethics part is getting people to take that long-term view on their happiness and looking after other people, looking after our relationships, being mindful of some of those components. It's a bit like paying taxes. You know, we all hate paying taxes because... It takes some money out of my back pocket every year. But then if I didn't do that in the long term, the society that I enjoy and the functionality of that society would start to crumble. So being able to take that long-term view and seeing the feedback mechanisms in terms of what actually contributes to my happiness in that broader sense, I think is it is part of that ethical way of thinking. And I think it does play an important role in supporting our happiness. And maybe it's, a, again, understanding that connection is critical for thinking about what is sustainable happiness or what's the sort of happiness that we're going to be able to enjoy, not just now and in response to this particular thing, but over time and through our relationships and over our life trajectories. We hope you've enjoyed listening to these highlights. To listen to the latest episodes or learn more about participating in exhibitions or interviews, click on subscribe. Thank you for listening.